Hi, and welcome to this installment of our new Books at the Heyman Center panel podcast, sponsored by Columbia's Office of the Divisional Deans and the Faculty of Arts and Sciences, and the Society of Fellows and Heyman Center for the Humanities. I'm Olivia Branscombe. And I'm Tim Lundy. The presentations you are about to hear come from an event held on February 26th, 2021, honoring the work of Kayama L. Glover, the Anne Whitney Olin Professor of French and Africana Studies at Barnard College, and the Faculty Director of the Barnard Digital Humanities Center. Professor Glover studies literature and cinema from French-speaking communities, especially Haiti and the French Antilles. In 2021, she published A Regarded Self, Caribbean Womanhood and the Ethics of Disorderly Being. A Regarded Self is a study of novels by Caribbean writers, each of which features a female character who might disappoint readers' hopes and expectations. Professor Glover argues that readers of Caribbean literature, especially scholars and critics, often place a high value on community as a source of political resistance to colonialism, capitalism, and globalization. Readers might desire to read about characters who are empowered to take political action based on their communal identities, and feel disappointed by characters without strong moral and political commitments. But Professor Glover argues that the fictional women she studies are interesting because they're self-regarding, because they defy their communities. These women find freedom in resistance to their community's expectations and standards by being disorderly, and they disorder their communities and their readers in turn. First, we will hear Professor Glover explain her book's goals and some other recent books that resonate with her project including Jack Halberstam's Wild Things, the subject of a previous podcast episode. Afterward, we will hear a response from Régine Michel Jean Charles, an associate professor of French and graduate program director at Boston College. So, the book, A Regarded Self. Um, as I stated at the very beginning, A Regarded Self is meant to be a book about freedom and about what I see as the life and death stakes of adamant selfhood. The premise is what I've been thinking about is the unseemliness of the eye. It's an expression I borrow from uh, a feminist, Adriana Cabrero. The eye that declares itself, the discomfort that's produced by a declarative self, especially a declarative feminine self. And the book is meant to be an inquiry into both the why of that discomfort, um, as well as into the possible ethical legitimacy of such self-declaration. And it's situated in the geocultural space of the Caribbean, which is obviously a space that is marked historically by contestation, by fierce struggle to resist the individualist nature of racial capitalism and North Atlantic empire. And in that way, a space where I argue there is and has been a particular reliance on the communal, the communal as a resource and as a social and aesthetic principle. Uh, in a lot of ways, this book actually follows on my, and maybe it's not that that obvious, but um, nonetheless, in my, in my brain, at least, it follows on my earlier work on the centers and margins that have been created in the Caribbean, in Caribbean literary traditions, as they write back to Europe. And, and I wanted to think here about how um, an emphasis or even an insistence on the communal can, in fact, be dangerously prescriptive for, for certain disorderly beings. Um, and, and by disorderly, of course, I mean uh, morally ambivalent beings, politically non-aligned or sexually unconventional beings, women specifically, 
who are self-regarding, uh, wayward, and, and wild. Um, and you all will realize, I'm sure that I use those terms, self-regarding, way, wayward, and wild, um, very specifically to, to point to three to other works of critical theory, or three in particular works of critical theory that emerged in a similar time space to the one that produced a regarded self. Um, literally, as I was wrapping up this manuscript, Toni Morrison's essay collection, The Source of Self-Regard, uh, ideas, Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments, and then Jack Halberstam's Wild Things, Disorder of Desire. They all came out in sort of rapid succession. And um, at first I found that incredibly daunting. Um, I have to say, the summer of 2019, when the source of self-regard came out, I was kind of like, maybe I, I, I just shouldn't do this. Um, but then, you know, it, it's also felt like kind of a confirmation that maybe I'm onto something here, something to do with questions of disorder and the seeking out of ways of thinking and being that resist reliable classification. And so, uh, you know, at the origins of this book and at its foundations, I've wanted to think about who we ask to do what kind of work for us, situated here in a largely righteous, largely progressive community of professional readers. You know, what do we do with texts that seem to be set up to fit into our traditions and our politics as Caribbeanists, as Black feminists, as progressive thinkers, but that maybe disappoint or even enrage us? And so in other words, I've been, I've been curious to unpack what these works and the women they contain have elicited as a critical response, especially among critical communities that I belong to, you know, communities of folks whose work I admire and engage regularly as a scholar, as an educator, as a translator, etc. And so throughout a regarded self, throughout the project, um, I'm asking that we think about the work of criticism we do as theorists and about the gender and racialized expectations we bring to our characters, to our writers in that sort of um, beloved and possessive way that after you know, decades of working with these texts, we, we, we tend to feel about them in some ways. And then to do this thinking, I, uh, what I tried to do in the book is to create a conversation among these five works of prose fiction and the authors who made them. So um, that's Marie Condé with I Tijuba, Black Witch of Salem, uh, Marie Chauvet, Daughter of Haiti, René de Bestre, Adriana in All My Dreams, uh, Jamaica Kincaid, The Autobiography of My Mother, and Marlon James, the, the Book of Night Women. And I've read these books together in the hopes of creating some space for critical reflexivity, for vigilance uh, to the desires that animate our ways of reading and writing about and teaching post-colonial Caribbean literature. And then also vigilance to the fact of consumption that is an inevitable part of reading and wanting to identify with fictional characters whose stories recall the things we cherish in some ways. And the book is also a reflection of my thinking and, and, and and even, I guess, my frustration to some extent around the ways that the Caribbean is often muted by U.S. Black studies, which do tend to stand in for global Blackness in, in sort of the wider, wider world. And so part of the project has been to attend to the specificity of the Caribbean while also trying to gesture outward from that space. So thinking about the matters of, of coloniality, of métissage and Frenchness, um, the relationship to empire and the hemispheric Americas, and of the particularity of majority blackness, um, of indigeneity, all of these sort of idiosyncratically Caribbean preoccupations that um, can be too easily alighted, I think, by US American perspectives on gender and, and race. Um, 
And maybe I think I do have time. I'll just give a, a very quick overview for folks who haven't read the book. Um, there are five chapters in addition to the intro and the conclusion. And each of the chapters sort of takes up a specific valence of, of self-regard as a way of thinking about and through a particular work of Caribbean literature, the context of its writing, and then the dimensions of its um, extra textual application. Um, and so again, quickly, uh, the first chapter, um, which focuses on Marie Condé's Tituba, looks at self-love as a way of examining the past and the present constraints of Puritanism, at the genre of the slave narrative, and at the blind spots of feminism, as well as at the matter of the erotic in the context of enslavement. Um, and then in the second chapter um, on uh, Marie Chauvet's Daughter of Haiti, I use self-possession to tackle voodoo and the fetishizing of whiteness in the Afro-Caribbean, as well as the tyranny of political desire. Um, the third chapter uh, on Adriana Dantumerev thinks through, um, I'm sorry, I, I, I switched chapters. The second chapter is self-defense. Madeline's not only, yeah, like, I, I thought so. Yes, the second chapter is self-defense. And that's where I'm thinking about color politics actually in Haiti and, and mid-century Haitian nationalism. Um, I also have a little veering into questions of BDSM and other modes of what I think of as sexual contract. Um, it's then in Adriana that I think more about voodoo, whiteness in the Afro-Caribbean and, and political desires as they um, impacted both the reception of the novel and um, the perception of its author. In the fourth chapter, uh, which focuses on uh, Jamaica Kincaid's autobiography of my mother, I think about self-preservation in a very literal sense, um, examining the intramural conflict around indigeneity. Um, and I have a lot of fun querying the Tempest narrative, both uh, Shakespeare's and Amy uh, Césaire's. And then in the final chapter, which um, really explicitly engages with self-regard in the sense of, of looking and being looked at, I, I use uh, or I think through Marlon James's The Book of Night Women to home in on present day investments in the haunting past of slavery. Again, the neo-slave narrative as well. And again, um, the experience with uh, or thinking through erotics in the context of enslavement. And yes, the whole thing relies on the matter of regard for self. Um, and I do, I really do squeeze all the, the connotative juice I can out of that term, self-regard. Um, so I posit it in contradistinction to the colonialist and the masculine gaze, as well as to the need for approval among communities of color, of feminist and black feminist writerly communities. Um, I think of self-regard as an opportunity for mirror work in a very literal way. Um, and I think about self-regard as a form of healthy narcissism and of deliberate disorder in both the literal psychiatric um, and, and the more metaphorical sense of that term. Uh, and so with all of this, I get that there's maybe a lot about the project that risks being off-putting. It took me a while to not put the word narcissism in the title, actually. I was kind of talked down from what might have been a mistake. Um, you know, by foregrounding a, a concept or a term that evokes immediately uh, a certain amount of pushback or, or, or reluctance. Maybe off putting also in the context of these times where we rely ever more and rightly so on community to shore us up um, in the face of some of the more egregious individualist practices of exploitation, extraction, and all the things everyone in this, um, on this Zoom panel and likely in this Zoom webinar are, are well aware of. And I'm, I'm aware that I'm not also, I, I'm not proposing anything like answers or a clear alternative political agenda, as well as pointedly not claiming that these novels are doing that either. Um, but what I have been invested in is clearing some space to consider the ethical legitimacy of unformed and solitary refusal. 
of just saying, no, I don't want to, no, I can't, or no, I won't. Um, yeah, and these are weird things to say, especially for women to say, and especially for black and brown women to say. And it's surprising, or maybe not, to what extent even the most progressive communities have trouble accepting this kind of refusal from women, from black and brown women. And this is the bind that I try to dig into in this book through these texts. And uh, to end, just to say that, um, <laughs> that this book is indulgently literary. It's really a testament to how gleefully I read and, and puzzle and geek out over good old fashioned literary fiction as a truly personally nourishing practice of translating and uh, panning for golden insights. Um, reading is a source of that, that endorphin rush of intimate eurekas that I experienced as I was going back to these texts that I knew well, but perhaps before starting this book hadn't thought of in, in such an unsettling way, I suppose. Um, but I do just wanted to put into the space to say that being with these works and with these difficult characters, learning and teaching from them as I wrote the book has really brought me no small degree of, of true pleasure. Um, and I have really thrilled to the disorderliness of these novels and these characters. What I've read is their call to unsettle everything endlessly. And I had hoped in the book, in a regarded self, to communicate some of that feeling, um, some of that pleasure to my readers. Next, we will hear a response to a regarded self from Régine Michel Jean Charles, an associate professor of French and graduate program director at Boston College. Professor Jean Charles studies the literature and culture of the French speaking world, including Haiti and has written about the representation of rape in African and Caribbean literary and visual culture. Professor Jean-Charles describes her own experience reading A Regarded Self and coming to a new understanding of characters that she had previously found unsatisfying. Afterward, we will hear Professor Glover reflect further on how we as readers might benefit from empathizing with characters who don't fit with our prior expectations. You. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. And thank you for writing this book. Um, I, I, I definitely got the sense of the pleasure and the enjoyment as well. So the first sentence of Kayama Glover's luminous study declares that this is a book about freedom. And so I want to take this time to reflect on what this freedom requires of us as a reader, as a scholar, as a critic, as a Caribbeanist, and as a feminist. What does your freedom require? Or what does freedom look like is a question I often ask my students and ask that they constantly return to. It is a question demanding that we summon our imaginations to create visions of freedom. Yet it is one that I had not realized how infrequently I had absorbed to be part of my own scholarly praxis. Indeed, the readings that unfold in a regarded self invite us to grapple with what our freedom requires, to wrestle with the meaning of freedom, to probe and pressure the idea of academic freedom, which deserves to be more capacious than we are now fond of framing it. With the regarded self, Glover does what she describes these authors as doing by, quote, calling on us to broaden our understanding of what freedom looks like, end quote. While Glover astutely performs the refusal she also analyzes in her protagonist and authors, this reader was reluctant to accept refusal as a critical stance, despite my guide's careful instruction to abandon the shackles of my own rehearsed reading praxis and critical stances. 
As a Black feminist literary scholar well-versed in Francophone literatures, I was familiar with many of these novels and their unlikable female protagonists, especially Adriana Tituba in Lotus, none of whom were my favorites, and all of whom I resisted and refused entry into my teaching, research, and theoretical frameworks, reading and rereading practices. Content to contain them within the roles I had conscripted for them, I simply refused to welcome these women into my mind. While delving into a regarded self, I continued to resist and refuse. Glover's corpus has a dis had a disordering effect on me from the beginning. I had no desire to lean into the unsettling dimensions of these disorderly women, and I was comfortably accepting of my refusal. I was exasperated by Tituba's and revolutionary impulses. I refused to see Adriana as anything other than a fetishized anti-Haitian version of the erotic. I did not want to consider the possibility that Lilith shows us that, quote, not all enslaved women sought alliance on feminist terms, end quote. Each of these women experienced sexual violence and interact with the sexual trauma in ways that are the opposite of the rape victim survivors that I foreground in my own analyses of global rape culture. But if the protagonists gathered in Glover's exquisite study repelled me, the idea of self-regard drew me in. When viewed in relation to Toni Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard, Glover's conceptualization of self-regard, even in relation to narcissism, was in my view a cause worthy of analysis. As Morrison explains, quote, the desire for choice in partners, the desire for romantic love, operate as a place, space, a way for individual reclamation of the self. That is part, maybe the largest part, certainly an important part of the reconstruction of identity, part of the me so tentatively articulated in Beloved, end quote. Because the authorial eyes that Glover excavates are far from tentatively articulated, they actually beckon a reader like me to abandon my carefully honed resistance and refusal. By the study's conclusion, I was convinced that as Glover notes, narcissism operates as quote, a defensive practice, not a character flaw. It is both a weapon and a shield in a battle for life and death and an ethical practice, end quote. I was convinced largely because I slowly realized that Glover was in fact introducing me to greater freedom in my black feminist critical lens to accommodate figures I was hesitant to welcome in. How could I not admire what she calls, quote, Tichuba's consistent effort to refocus the gave of others uh, that points to a form of freedom that aims at recognizing oneself and being recognized as a lovable being, end quote. In fact, Tichuba's self-love, empowerment, and erotic self-agency is a laudable model of sexual selfhood, even if it does not adhere to the conventional modes of what freedom might look like for an enslaved woman. As for Adriana and René Despest, both of whom I had long found suspect, Glover's careful elucidation of how the novel, quote, at once stages and interrogates the cliched objectification of women, and quote, prompted me to rethink my longstanding resistance to this novel. At Glover's invitation, I leaned into what I found uncomfortable and unsettling about Adriana and All My Dreams and allowed it to brush up against the unexpected pleasures of that text. In particular, its hilarious nature at the levels of form and content, which allowed me to see what Depest is parodying rather than embracing, as Glover argues. 
By abandoning my refusal to look more closely at the nuanced inner workings of that novel, I was finally able to accept what is in fact, what Glover calls, quote, Depest's provocative invitation into a richly layered conversation, end quote. If I had heretofore resisted embracing Chauvet's protagonist, Lotus Delgrave, it was because unlike Minette in Dance on the Volcano, Rose Nurmil, or even Claire Clamont in Love, Anger, Madness, I found her petulant and nothing more than, quote, a frivolous Haitian girl who plays at revolution. Seeing her as a manifestation of Chauvet's critique of how power, politics, gender, and the erotic collide for women with very few traces in the context of the confining models of womanhood illuminated me. If I'm now able to see Lotus's evolution in a different light, it is because I understand and am more empathetic about the coerced loss of self that results in her self-effacement. Furthermore, Glover's insistent that Chauvet's representation of, quote, the violent encounters that take place in intimate spaces, quote, was radical in its time and, as Glover says, still is, actually entreats us to not be anachronistic in our readings of radicalism. It is also important that these protagonists endure and sometimes flourish in periods of extreme isolation, which suggests that self-regard as a form of protection and self-defense for the individual does not require the collective and the communal as Glover continues to insist. The feminist insight that a regarded self wisely dispenses is that there are, quote, many possible ways of being, end quote, and that we not only owe it to literary characters and to our readings to explore those possibilities, but we owe it to ourselves. After all, and as Morrison has argued in the source of self-regard, there is a progression as we move in all of our education from information to knowledge to wisdom. With a regarded self, Glover exemplifies that journey of progression and invites the reader, the student, and the critic to do the same. If Marlon James insists that we enact our own practice of refusal, as Glover says, Glover insists that we interrogate and unsettle our acts of refusal as well. For me right now, this means that after years of refusing to do so, thanks to Kayama, I will be teaching I Tichuba, Black Witch of Salem for the first time. I look forward to seeing how Tichuba will disorient my students knowing that we will be just fine. If you can't be free, be a mystery, Fair Jasmine Griffin instructs, riffing off of Rita Dove's poem, Canary, in reference to Billie Holiday. As Griffin explains, choosing to be a mystery is one way to maintain a semblance of control, to keep your inner self to yourself. This is an act of agency for the unfree, end quote. The forms of control and agency enacted by the unfree women who make up the corpus of a regarded self navigate the mysteries and frustrations of the self and in so doing, invite us all to become more free. The extent to which there is, there is so much heartbreak in the me and in the I. And, and so in response to that heartbreak, both uh, presented by these characters and by these works and then elicited from me and us as readers of these works. Um, I think what I'm asking for is how do we practice empathy um, in the face of what looks like failure, right? In the failure to undo order. That's where I started really, um, with the frustration of the unforgiving nature of the order that despite all the rocks you throw, still sort of bounce back and harm and do harm to you. Um, and I wanted to, to query my own empathy and I, and I appreciate um, 
I love your refusal, Regine. I love that you spent so much time laying out how tough it is to, to get behind this idea of, um, of being empathetic, empathetic towards, towards characters who fail at the task we want them to have, um, to have succeeded at. Um, but I guess what I'm asking for is, is how do we avoid absolute pessimism in thinking about that failure? And then how do we think about the violence we do as readers um, in our own uh, refusals to read them, our refusals to, to see their efforts, um, and to think deeply about well, what are we expecting? What are we expecting? Are we expecting um, an enslaved woman to, to do all this kind of work? Are we expecting even um, a white Creole woman who's been adored by her community to become the beacon enlightening the masses that, um, that, that purport to love her but actually sacrifice her over and over again? Um, and so really just a, a call to, to think about the immense risk and vulnerability attendant to each one of these women's practices of self-regard and the incredible risk and vulnerability of the authors. And, and it was very interesting to me, the kind of emotional and physical connection that I felt I had to these women and the fact that, um, you know, I didn't end up like loving them or, no, that's not true. I didn't end up liking them <laughs> or, um, or thinking they had wanted something, but I did end up loving them in that human way um, and, and being willing to accept what they were able to accomplish. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast celebrating Kayama L. Glover's A Regarded Self. We hope you'll join us next time for more new book events from spring 2021. From Columbia University's Society of Fellows and Heyman Center for the Humanities, I'm Tim Lundy. And I'm Olivia Branscombe. Our theme music is the song Moonrise by Poddington Bear from soundofpicture.com. <laughs>